Okay. I, I tell you what though, e even if that guy did start making furniture, I would never buy a single piece that he ever, how can you trust a furniture maker that's never made a piece of furniture? Seriously, how, how is that even possible? Hey, uh, so it was back in the fall of 2010, uh, I, I was on a trip to Liberia in Western Africa. And, and this is one of those like super crazy trips where, I mean, seriously, I probably almost died like three or four times. It was, one of, it, was, it was nuts. And, and I couldn't wait to get back home. Uh, Landon had been born just a year earlier. Uh, Laura and I had been married for three years at this point. And, and I had limited access to chatting with her in the evenings. And so couldn't wait to get back and share with her I mean, just all these crazy things that God had done. Uh, and so I get back and, and we're sitting, sitting down or, or get, getting ready to have that conversation. And, and, and she goes, Jason, there's something, there's something I need to tell you. And, and it's something pretty cool, but I think... I think you should probably sit down for this one. Like, okay, um, I got all these crazy things I want to share with you, but okay, go ahead. I, I believe that while you were gone, God called me to be a stay-at-home mom. Like, poof, mind blown. Like, and maybe for most of you, like that's, okay, well, Jason, that's not really a big deal, but, but you have to understand a little bit of context. Um, Laura, um, she, she just graduated just a year earlier with a master's in social work uh, and had an enormous pile of debt. Uh, and on top of that, when we first got married, we were convinced uh, that we were going to wait till we were in our early 30s to start having kids. Um, well, at that point, we were like 24 years old. We already had one. So I, it, it's due to Jesus and Target, but that's a whole different story. So um, at, at that point, okay, Laura's going to be, okay, God, you've called us to do this. How is this going to happen? So I began putting some feelers out there knowing that the job that I currently had, there was no way that I was going to be able to support financially our whole family. And, and, and so I began, began looking around and having conversations and, and began chatting with uh, my youth pastor of all people. And he had just started this brand new job up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, started chatting with him. He said, hey, Jason, I'd love for you to come up and be the middle school pastor and I'll be the senior high pastor. Like, well, that'd be a lot of fun. Like, we did all kinds of crazy stuff together while I was in youth group. So this is going to be a blast. Uh, and, and so began, began exploring that. And, and, and I mean, Laura began like finding a home for us. I don't know if any of you guys are like this. Like she picked out the house we were going to buy, had crazy Pinterest boards with all the colors that I was going to have to paint all the walls. She had figured out where all the furniture pieces that we already owned, where in this home they were going to go, and then made a list of all the things that apparently we were going to somehow have to figure out to buy. Uh, I, I mean, everything was all ready. And then on January 16th, I get a phone call from John, my youth pastor. He had just gotten let go. And so now at this point, I, I kind of reeling a little bit like, God, what, what's going on? Like, I know you've called uh, Laura to be a stay-at-home mom and for us to be a single-income family. Like, okay, um, what, are, what are you up to? And then the very next day, January 17th, uh, middle of the day, I get a call from my wife and she, she's a little bit nervous to tell me, uh, I just got fired. So in that moment, we had been praying, like, God, how are you going to make it work for Laura to be able to be a stay-at-home mom? He just answered that prayer. <laughs> be careful what you pray for, right? Um, and so in, in these moments, uh, we had to answer this question, like, God, will we trust you? And so we said, yes, we will trust you. And so we started packing our house. 
And so I found this study, it's super interesting. According to the study published online in the Journal of Consumer Research, being more ambitious actually makes you happier. It goes on to say this, it says, you should only be 60% sure you're gonna achieve your goal. It should make you sweat a little bit about it. Those who set high goals are more satisfied than their counterparts with lower expectations. University of California Riverside professor Cho had one, research, one group of research participants pick stocks with, uh, and set a high target rate of return. They were told they could set a rate anywhere between 6 and 20%. The low goal setters, get this, were not nearly as happy with their winnings and were more disappointed by their losses. Big goal setters were more happy with their winnings and less disappointed by their losses. She concludes, when we set big goals, we get big rewards. Even if we lose, we feel like we gave it our best try, which is fulfilling in a very different way. Um, Maybe some of you today are are in a season of life kind of like what Laura and I faced in 2010 and 2011, where where you're faced with some decisions in your life that that appear to be just such incredibly high risk. Like, what's going on? And, and if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, you're, you're asking questions like, like is it worth it? Is, is taking this risk worth it? And, and, and if you are a Jesus follower, we're asking questions like, God, God, can I trust you? Can I trust you with what's in front of us? And, and maybe through this series, Who's Your One, maybe some of us have been asking that question. You know, as, as we consider, like, who is that one who is that one person that God has strategically placed into my life that, that I might have the opportunity to share Jesus with them? I mean, if I were, if I were to share Jesus with them, I mean, my, my reputation's on the line. Like, I, I might lose friends. I might, might lose my job. I might get bullied. Is it worth it? And that, that, that's the question Laura and I were asking, right? And it, it was, at this point, it was late April, and I had sent out about 50 or 60 different applications. I mean, all over the country. We, we weren't leaving any stone unturned. And it was late April. At this point, I'd had several first and second interviews. Uh, I had gone and visited this church up in northern Michigan, Walloon Lake Community Church. And, and it really seemed like that was the direction God was going to lead us. We had, we had a little bit of a, an insider at the church who had fallen in love with Laura and I and, and our son Landon and knew that we were at this point expecting our, our daughter, Charlotte, and uh, and so I knew that I was one of the top two or three candidates, but, but it certainly wasn't a done deal. But what Laura and I were praying through this season was, God, wherever you lead us, whether it's up at Walloon or it's somewhere else in this country, lead us to the one. We know you have someone for us. Lead, lead, us, lead us there. <laughs> so I was like two weeks out from my current job ending, uh, still no confirmation of this new job. We were, we were waiting for the final vote to come in. But, but here's what I knew. I knew that taking a risk on Jesus, it, it, it certainly has the potential to be incredibly terrifying, but it's also super exhilarating. And through all of this, both Laura and I had this incredible peace in our hearts that we were pursuing Jesus. And here's what we knew. Jesus He is the key to life, to hope, healing, happiness, and restoration. 
Jesus is the key to all of those things. And so because of that, I was willing to do whatever it takes to reach the one, whatever it takes. I didn't even know who this one was gonna be, uh, but I was willing to do whatever it takes. And it kind of reminds me, as I I was processing through that story, it kind of reminds me of this story that's told in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke. And and if you're unfamiliar or maybe new to this whole like church thing, uh, the Bible's divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The the Old Testament is the, the stories and the accounts of the history of Israel. And then the New Testament, which is where we find uh, Luke and Mark, uh, is, is all about the accounts of Jesus. That's the first four books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the rest of the New Testament is all the stories of the early church. And so we find this story in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole. Okay, I wanna know which of the four friends was sent home to get the ax. I mean, seriously, like that, that would have been quite the conversation. They dug a hole in the roof above his head. Now, uh, a roof structure in the Middle East in this time period is different than our roofs here. Uh, they weren't, the roof wasn't just designed to like wash water away. Uh, it wasn't just like palm branches that they could just like kind of shift away a little bit. Uh, the roof structure in, in homes in the Middle East were, were actually designed as part of their living quarters, where, where in the cool of the evening, uh, entire families would go and congregate on the roof uh, to enjoy the cool evening. And so you can imagine that this was not, ju- I mean, this was like 12, 18 inches thick. So, so you know, as, as Jesus is teaching, I mean, there's, there's noise. I mean, that, that'd be a little, a little crazy. Then Jesus Uh, Then they, the friends, lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. I mean, that's kind of crazy. To be in a room with a guy who knows what you're thinking and then talks to you about the things that were in your head. A little mind-blowing. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Which I appreciate that he said that probably for the crowd because, I mean, it was in their hearts, right? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's, uh, let's pray together as we dive into this passage. Father, there's, there's so much that we can learn even in this moment uh, as, as we take a look at these friends and the way that they pursue Jesus, the way that they uh, were willing to do whatever it takes to reach the one. So God, I just pray uh, that you would use me, um, but, but that I would disappear and that, that your name uh, would, would be brought forward. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. I mean, can, can you even imagine what it would have been like for Jesus? Uh, I mean, 
I, I had to practice that with the ax a whole bunch of times because even as I was teaching, like it's distracting for me. So can you even imagine what it would have been like for Jesus uh, as he's trying to like teach the word of God? He's trying to tell these stories and, and trying to help inspire the crowd to live more for and like God. And, and all of a sudden there's like these noises, like it, the roof starts like crumbling right, abo- right above them. And, and then imagine what it would have been like for the crowd. I mean, the crowd that's in there, they, they have paid top dollar to have front row seats to the best show in town, right? Because this guy, Jesus, he had Shmika. Remember, you guys remember that from two weeks ago as, as Shay was introducing the series Shmika, right? There, there, there's only about 12 uh, men in, in recorded Jewish history that have what is referred to as Shmika. It's a Hebrew word that, that, that has the meaning of, of a teacher with incredible ability to teach and to heal. And so everyone in that area, when they heard that Jesus was there, they wanted front row seats. I'd encourage you guys, if you missed either of the first two weeks of the series, as I said, Shay taught about what it meant for people to follow Jesus because Jesus had this shmika. And so I'd encourage you to go to grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can go to Grumlaw Church anywhere you grab your podcast and get caught up. I'd really encourage you guys this week to check out the first two messages of this series. Uh, but, but thinking about that crowd, like how annoyed would you have been? I mean, the roof starts literally caving and you're sitting there, you're hearing all these noises, wondering what's going on. All of a sudden, like the, the roof, like the, the clay and the dirt starts like crumbling on your head. You got stuff all in your hair. And, and a lot of Jewish men had these big beards and like now they got like clay in their beards. That, that would be rough. Uh, where, where were the bouncers? How did they get that ax past TSA and seriously get it up to the roof? Like, where was security uh, as they were monitoring this uh, event? It it would be kind of like, and this this happened to us, uh, it would be kind of like you're standing in line with your kids at Disney World for like an hour waiting to get on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and then at the last minute, they close the ride. I mean, like seriously, Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden he's got to stop and like back up because now they have to make room and they, they drop the, this guy through the roof. I would imagine that most of the crowd are probably mostly annoyed, maybe mad or frustrated. But I, I have to imagine that some of the crowd probably was at least marginally impressed with these four friends and their commitment to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. And, and so we can learn three things from these friends. So, so we're going to take a look at that and, and, and thinking about that as we pursue our one. The, these, friends, these friends had a mission. Uh, mission defines us, doesn't it? I mean, it gives us direction. It, mission gives us direction for our families. It gives direction for our culture. Uh, it gives us direction at work. Uh, it, it helps us know the way we're supposed to go. And, and some of you guys, some of you guys in here, right, like you're like all conference, all star families. Like you've developed a mission statement for your family and you, you hired someone or maybe you did it yourself. You got like some pallet boards and you, and you wrote your mission statement. Maybe you hired Tay because she's got like really beautiful calligraphy and, and wrote it on this like nice pallet board and it's hanging on, on the wall right as you walk in your house and it's like live, laugh, love. Our family does hugs, right? Or at Disney, like we were just at, right? Disney, right? Their, their mission statement, to make people happy, which for the most part happens until they close the stinking ride, making parents mad, 
Or, or you have Instagram, right? Their mission statement, right? To, to capture and share the world's moments. Did you guys know Facebook has a, has a brand new mission statement? Uh, it, it, it's this. It's, this. it's a media platform for grandmas to stalk their grandchildren. No, I'm just kidding. That's not actually it. Jesus had a mission statement uh, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It's to seek and save that which is lost. These four friends, they had their mission statement, right? They, they wanted to see their friend walk. What, what drives you? What moves you forward? What, what gets you up in the morning and, and gets you going? Uh, maybe, maybe you're at that stage of life where you're like, man, like I, I, I got to save as much money as possible so that as I step into retirement, like we're, we're set. Or, or, or maybe you're thinking, man, I got to get like a second job or a third job or a fourth job because my kids are getting bigger and they're, they're going to be, te- I mean, that's what, my, my son just turned 10. Like he's going to be a teenager soon. He's already starting to out-eat me. Like, I mean, what, what's going to happen? Uh, I got to maybe get a second job or a third. I, I got to make sure that I'm providing for my family. But there's a, there's a different category that I'd like just to entertain just for a moment here this morning. Like spiritually speaking, what drives you? What motivates you? What, what kingdom dreams do you have? Living for eternity instead of just living for here and now. I, I, I think of our family and as we think about like the mission that, that drives us, that gets us going in the morning, we, we, we want to see our kids and our extended family know, love, and follow Jesus. I mean, that, that's what... That's what motivates us. That's, that's part of that kingdom drive in us. I, I know for Grumlaw, our, our mission is to lead people towards Jesus. It, we, we want nothing more than to see Grand Blank, the, city, the entire city of Grand Blank, radically transformed because of the hope of the gospel. Uh, the church that Laura and I are getting ready to start, as Shay mentioned, we're, we're going to call it Union Church. And the mission of Union Church is to develop gospel-advancing leaders. We, we want nothing more than to see the, the elementary schools within the Carmen Ainsworth District radically transformed by the hope and the message of the gospel. So it drives us. What, what burns inside you? What must happen? What drives you every single day? I heard a pastor say this. He said, he said, if the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. For these friends, it was to see their friend walk. And I encourage you, if you're a Jesus follower, like, why don't we adopt the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, to, to pursue kingdom impact in the lives of those that we interact with, the one that we might lead people to Jesus. These friends had a mission and these friends had an eager expectation. I mean, if we, if we can just get our friend to the feet of Jesus, then maybe, maybe, just maybe he might walk. And they, they were willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. It drove them. They were willing to take enormous risk it was driven by this eager expectation that if we can get our friend to Jesus, that he might walk. And, and I, th- I think of countless stories in the Old Testament of, of people that were willing to take enormous risk, driven by this eager expectation, by, by this mission that God had given them. I, I, I think of Joshua. Jo- Joshua was, was, was this, this leader. He was just given leadership of the entire nation of Israel as they're, they're entering into this land that God had promised to them 
And as they entered into this promised land, uh, Joshua had, had these, these, these military uh, adventures ahead of him. And the first city that he was uh, to take over, that he was to conquer, was the city of Jericho. And, and so, so Joshua met with God to, to get this battle plan developed. And, and get this, the battle plan that God gave to Joshua, it, it's totally crazy. March around the city of Jericho, which is, has these huge walls, March around for seven days, and then at the end of the seven days, get this battle plan, scream as loud as you can. What? What kind of a battle plan is that? But you know what? Joshua was willing to take a risk on God because he had this eager expectation that God was going to deliver, not just deliver, but, but set up the nation of Israel uh, in this promised land. And so this risk was driven by this eager expectation of this mission to take over the promised land. Uh, and, and then after the nation of Israel had been established, uh, there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the, these, these three guys, they, they were taken into captivity. The, the Babylonians uh, actually came in and, and, and captured so many people, enslaved the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they, they were some of the leaders within Israel. And so they became servants to the king in Babylon. And they were faced with this choice. Because the king of Babylon was convinced that he was God. And so, so he said, either you bow and worship this massive statue of myself that I made, or you get thrown into a fire and die. And so these three guys, they, they, had, they had a choice to make. Are we going to take this risk based on our eager expectation because of this mission that God's given us? Or, or, or are we going to cave and take the easy way out? And so they said, no, like we're not going to bow. And either... God will save us, or God will be glorified in our death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into this fiery furnace, and they lived. It was incredible. When was the last time, when was the last time that you took a risk on God? And, and, then, and then does that, does that expectation, does that eagerness in your heart, does it drive you forward? Does it move you to action? Because otherwise, otherwise, it's just doctrine in your head. If the truths of God never move from up here to your heart, then, then we're not really following Jesus. We're just consuming information. It, as, as I was preparing for that and thinking about that line, like, I became super convicted because I, I've been a Jesus follower for as long as I can remember. And, and I've had seasons where that's been true of me and I've had to, I've had to like, repent and say I'm sorry to God because I, I've been in that place where, where it's been only here. So I, I'm going to say that again, but I'm going to say it to me. If, if it's just doctrine in my head, if the truths of God are just here and never make their way to my heart, then I'm not following Jesus. I'm just consuming information. The gospel, it transforms the mind, it transforms the heart, and it propels the feet. These friends had a mission, these friends had an eager expectation, and these friends encountered an obstacle. I, I, I think that if these, if these four friends, if they were more like us, they, they probably would have responded like this. And, and, and I've done this on occasion and uh, not, not super proud of it, but, but there's been times in my life where I've been convinced that God has wanted me to like open my mouth and, and share the good news with someone, or, or I, I've been convinced that I'm supposed to go do something. And, and, and I, 
I come across what would be a closed door. And so in that moment, uh, I have a choice to be like these four friends uh, and, and dig a hole through the roof or to say, well, you know what, God, like it's a closed door, so you must not want me to walk through that. It must not be part of your grand design. And so I throw up the white flag and I surrender, even though I know that God has called me to do something and I just, I just give up on it. This open door spirituality that, that I know myself and probably a lot of us uh, have, have followed because I think it's part of the American culture that has crept into Christianity. And I think this open door spirituality has prevented us from seeing so many things that God would want us to be a part of. But, but imagine, if, imagine if the Apostle Paul would have followed open door spirituality. Uh, I mean, th- this, is, this is a guy who was one of, one of the main leaders of the early church. He, he, he started so many churches and he wrote more than half of the New Testament. But if at the first sign of difficulty, uh, which he faced a lot, I mean, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by snakes, and he was imprisoned and he was tortured. I mean, there's so many times where the Apostle Paul could have followed open door spirituality and said, you know what, God, it must not be your will, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give up on what you've called me to do. Guys, we probably wouldn't even be here today. Like, the church may not exist if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. Uh, or how about Jesus? I mean, imagine if Jesus would have followed open-door spirituality. Uh, he, he, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. I mean, that, talk about a closed door. Talk about a difficult season. And if he would have followed open door spirituality, like we would have received exactly what we deserved. We, we would have been eternally separated from God in a place defined as hell. But because Paul, because Jesus did not follow this open door spirituality, because they were willing to kick down the door or dig a hole through the roof to do whatever it takes to reach the one, and we have this opportunity to experience the life and the hope of Jesus. Sometimes a closed door means we got to find another way. Sometimes it means we got to kick down a door or we got to dig a hole through the roof so that, we might, so that we might get our friends to Jesus. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to reach the one. If on January 16th and January 17th, we would have just taken the easy way out, we would have never seen what God had for us. You see, when, when, when we got there, it became very, very evident very quickly that the one that God had, had established for me to reach was this young man named Jonathan. And then, and then for my wife, it was his sister, Michaela. And so we began investing and pouring into Jonathan and Michaela. And over the course of the next couple of years, we saw, we saw these two, uh, we saw them share their faith with their friends, and, and countless numbers of their friends trusted Jesus, and then, and then countless numbers of their friends trusted Jesus. We saw disciples making disciples making disciples, so that the end of Jonathan and Michaela's time in high school, get this, every single person in both of their grades at their school had heard the gospel from a friend. And then in the third year that I was there at Walloon, I, I had the opportunity, God gave me a new one, this kid named Nick. And Nick was a super cool kid. He, uh, he, he kept coming to youth group, even though he didn't believe what, what we were teaching, what we were talking about at all. Uh, and, and, and I kept inviting him. I kept investing in him. He had other friends that were inviting him in too. Uh, and, and Nick, uh, he was raised in a Mormon church. In fact, his dad was one of the top elders at this church. 
Uh, and I, I remember like it was yesterday. There was one day I was, I was teaching. It was a Thursday night. Uh, and Nick, right in the middle of the message, he stands up and he says, Jason, do you mean to tell me that everyone in the Mormon church that doesn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible is going to go to hell? That's what I'm saying. It was in that moment that Nick trusted Jesus. And it was two months later, I had the privilege of being able to baptize Nick. And then right before we moved from northern Michigan to Denver, Nick, Nick pulled me aside. He says, Jason, God's given me this incredible mission. I'm like, Nick, what, what's that, man? I want to go, after I graduate from high school, I want to go to Salt Lake City. And I want to preach the gospel in every single Mormon church that I could find. See, Nick had been so radically transformed by the gospel. And so it was about three and a half years later. I hadn't talked to Nick in such a long time. All of a sudden, my phone rings. It's Nick. Hey, Nick, what's going on? Jason, I did it. I haven't talked to you in like two years. Nick, what the heck are you talking about? I did it. I went to Salt Lake City, and I preached the gospel in every single Mormon church that I could find. Will you trust God to do and do whatever it takes to reach the one? You know, th this morning you might be sitting here and maybe you're realizing in this moment that you're here because someone that you love was willing to do whatever it takes to reach out to you, to invite you to church, to try and start spiritual conversations with you. I know this, this is my wife's story, that for 52 weeks in a row, her friend Emily invited her to start spiritual conversations, inviting her to youth group. And 52 weeks in a row, she said, no, no. I came up with an excuse. There we go, homework, family thing, 52 excuses. And then on the 53rd week, uh, Laura was like, Maybe if I go, she'll stop inviting me. I don't know. I don't want to go to two churches. Um, she was going to a Catholic church, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and so she, she, she went to Faith Tabernacle right here in Burton. And on that evening, because of Emily's persistence, Laura trusted in Jesus. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and you're thinking, man, like, maybe this is for me. I would encourage you, don't, don't wait another moment. Here's a couple of verses I want you to, to check this out. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Because we're not promised tomorrow. And then in Mark 8, 36, it says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? This is a way bigger than just what happens here on this earth. This is about eternity. Guys, Jesus... He died. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago for your sins and for mine. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered the grave. He, he proved in that moment that, that he is the key to hope, to life, to healing, to restoration. And, 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 and you can have free, unconditional access to Jesus by simply believing, by trusting that he died for you, that he paid the price for your sin and for mine. And it's super simple, but it's completely life-changing. This morning, if, if you are a Jesus follower, we've been asking this question throughout this series, who is your one? 
And I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, what's your plan? Because at some point along this journey, you, you're, you're going to run into obstacles. You're going to run into roadblocks. Are, are you going to just follow open door spirituality and, and, and just take the easy way out? Or are you willing to do whatever it takes to reach your one, to kick down doors, to dig through roofs, to reach your one?